You're listening to the Ann Campaign's Church Politics Podcast, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a biblical worldview. We're not trying to be progressive or conservative. We're trying to be faithful Christians in the public square. This is the kingdom. The kingdom. Yes, it is. Gotta spread the word. Would you know good, Ann Camp? You are listening to the Ann Campaign's Church Politics Podcast with Justin Gibney. That's me and the Windy City representative, the baddest brother above the Mason-Dixon line, the right reverend, Christopher Butler. My brother, how is everything going? I know you got the uh, new addition to the family. You got a whole bunch of stuff going on, man. How, how are you maintaining? Oh, man, uh, doing real well. Uh, you know, it's a very busy time coming up to the holidays, got the campaign going and uh, all these things. But things on the whole are well. How about okay. yourself? Well, uh, I'm doing I'm doing very well, man. I can't complain. Been really busy. Got to actually go and visit uh, our we launched a chapter a chapter up in Akron, Ohio. So got to go up there for our chapter launch. That was awesome, man. And so I'm doing well, man. Just trying to uh, slow it down towards the end of the year so I can hit the ground running in uh, uh, next year. But 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 tell me this, man. What what are your plans for Thanksgiving this year? Sort of. Jeff decided that uh, we were going back and forth because you know last year's uh, Thanksgiving we ended up you know because of COVID just been in the house. At, we didn't really cook much. Just ordered like Chinese food. And that was like a revelation. It was like, this is nice. Uh, so <laughs> we, we're we going to be somewhere in between that. We're staying home, but uh, just a couple of our family members, uh, extended family, will come over. And we'll try to make it still a pretty chill kind of day. So you're doing the Chinese food again? No, but like a simpler level of cooking. Mm, okay. Well, what is usually your favorite uh, part of uh, Thanksgiving dinner? Dessert. No doubt. What dessert? Can you be more specific? Uh, my mom's, yes, indeed. Uh, I'm talking to my attorney friend. Uh, my mom's peach cobbler. Okay, right on, right on. Yeah, I'm a big, I would have to say for me, it's it's, it's all about the greens. Um, the uh-huh. greens and then the turkey is, is close. So that, that's where I'm that. at those, on that. Those, those are serious. Very serious stuff, man. And, and who, remember, if you're, if you're cooking for Thanksgiving, don't try a new recipe for the first time when you bring it over to other folks' house, right? Do that's what's it, trusted. Do, do what you know works. I don't want anybody getting embarrassed or causing the issue at, at the uh, the dinner table. That is good wisdom. I've been I've been actually <laughs> working on some new cakes, Justin, for that reason. If you if you don't get it perfected where you like it and you served it to some other folks and they also approve, it's not ready for prime time. That's that's you not what you bring. You gotta test it out, bro. You got to test it out because, uh, you know, e- even for me, I, w- I, w- I hosted our family reunion a couple of years back and we were having a fish fry at the crib. But one thing I knew is that I could not do it for the first time when everybody got there. So I, I started probably about a month early, got got my got my game right and everything ended up well. So just a word to the wise. Uh, as y'all know, man, we've been saying this for the last couple episodes. Uh, this episode is brought to you in part by our friends at Fester Institute. Uh, we appreciate their sponsorship, man, and looking forward to some big announcements with them uh, here moving forward. But we have a really good show today, Chris. Uh, and so I'm ready to get into it. Everybody grab your Bible, get your mind right and prepare to think not like a Republican, 
not like a Democrat, but like a Christian. You can't win. You can't break even and you can't get out the game. People keep saying things are going to change, but they look just like they're staying the same. You can't win, child. You can't get even. And you can't get out the game. Those are song lyrics from one of my favorite movies of all time. The movie is The Wiz, featuring Michael Jackson as the Scarecrow and Diana Ross as Dorothy. The song is called The Crow Anthem. And it's probably one of the most negative, downtrodden, and dispirited songs that I have ever heard. Sadly, the Crow Anthem is pretty much, well, it seems to be pretty much the theme song for a lot of Christians as we enter into politics. The hopeless, the ungrateful, and the perpetually unhappy. Jane Coaston, the host of the New York Times podcast, The Argument, made a poignant observation on Twitter uh, last week. She said this. She said one of the most fascinating things about politics is that at no point are the truest believers ever happy. Not once. Not ever. And Chris, that's actually something that I had pondered about uh, before, too, once or twice. Uh, Why is it that the most civically engaged Uh, The most politically concerned, the most zealous advocates don't ever seem to be happy. Why don't their policy and electoral wins ever give them more than a bloodthirsty sneer? Even when they're celebrating, it seems to be fueled more by contempt than by gratitude in the moment. And Chris, I would say that it leaves one to wonder, do they ever smile genuinely? laugh or tell jokes that don't involve the tears or humiliation of their political political opponents? Are they ever in a good mood? Are they ever thankful? You know the type that I'm talking about. Always shouting or tweeting from their soapbox. Always all the way turned up or piqued by some indignity perpetuated, of course, by the other side. Always finding the needle of negativity in the haystack of positive outcomes. Always stealing the joy of people they see to be naive who accentuate the positive and and locate the silver lining in life. Why do they always seem so miserable no matter what the outcome? Let me be a little more specific. Maybe that'll help. I'm talking about the conservative who swears Christians are in the middle of some bloody persecution where our oversized government might bust down our door and take our kids without cause at any moment. Or we can talk about the black progressive who can't admit that America has made any progress racially in the, in the past 100 years and in turn is so hopeless that they're now suggesting that we tell children of color that all the odds are against them and they probably won't ever be able to have a fair chance to make it. Even though the person making that suggestion is usually sitting in a comfy and well-decorated academic or corporate office. Now, I want to analyze, Chris, um, why so many times true believers just don't ever seem to be happy. But I want to start this analysis as charitably as possible. Uh, I want to first admit, Chris, that I myself, um, as an activist of sorts, 
am not all that far removed from this disposition. In fact, I had to make a deliberate decision in my life at one point in my life to live with a different outlook, to live with, you know, a different posture. So in a real way, and I I really mean this, I feel the pain of the unhappy true believer in politics. And I think part of this chronic unhappiness, if I'm seeing this right, comes from identifying a very serious issue or or a group of issues. Um, It could be a life, you know, a life or death kind of issue. It can be an issue that significantly impacts the fabric of society and deeply wanting to fix it. But at the same time, being frustrated by your inability to get people to act with the same passion and conviction that you have. And sometimes not even being able to get those close to you to even care at all. People who tend to internalize society's issues and and make them personal often suffer tremendously. And honestly, I think that society, we need to recognize that society uh, would be in trouble without those kind of people because things wouldn't get addressed and you would have people so committed to making sure they do get addressed. So they serve a purpose. But that doesn't mean that we should resign ourselves to a, a kind of joyless and ungrateful life. And if we look at it kind of biblically, Chris, and I'd love to hear what you, you think about this. The situation isn't all that dissimilar from the prophet Jeremiah's burden or his predicament. The weeping prophet knew what was coming. He deeply cared about his people. He knew his people were in trouble, but he just couldn't get them to listen. That's a frustrating position to be in because people who have this deep passion can't make themselves stop caring. Right. Sometimes they're called to care about certain issues, I believe. But here's the difference. The truth is our causes are often less righteous and less clean cut than Jeremiah's was even when most of us do not see it that way. So so that's to me, that's the charitable analysis, right? That That's to say, okay, what does this stem from? I'm not going to say these folks just have the worst of intentions. What might this stem from? And I think it, a lot of times it is a deep passion about the issues and maybe just handled wrong. But I also think there's a few other things that aren't so uh, positive at play here too. Uh, and one I would say, Chris, is that It seems like they're often seeking an ideological purity that has become idolatrous. This ideological and political affiliation for them has become religious in nature. For many, politics has become an ultimate thing. And so you see the unhappiness coming from 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 that perspective. I think there's something else that could play a a part in this, Uh, that they're sometimes pursuing a kind of utopia. That isn't achievable in this broken world until the kingdom comes. And as a consequence, anything that falls short of that perfect state is unbearable. Now, don't get me wrong, Chris. We should strive for an idea. We should strive to make things right. Uh, We shouldn't be comfortable with injustice or immorality, nor should we just sit there and watch bad things happen and not feel any kind of way about it. That's disordered as well. But sometimes, our expectations are unhealthy and unrealistic. Sometimes our expectations are the stuff of fairy tales. You want a world where everyone appreciates and celebrates your culture. 
Everyone thinks you're beautiful and appreciates your attributes and no one ever says a discouraging word. Good luck with that. That is a surefire way to be unhappy all the time. But there's some other things. I think sometimes, and we've talked about this over and over again ad nauseum, but I think sometimes people are, are simply engaged in opposition-centered politics, and they're mostly concerned about destroying their opposition, over getting to the truth, over doing what is good, over all these other things. They want to see their opposition destroyed, and they won't be satisfied as long as the bad guys, quote unquote, are still breathing. Something else we can look at is You know, our social and political projects aren't primarily about glorifying God, that we go into these projects trying to save the world ourselves. And when we're trying to save the world ourselves, we find out that we're we're not capable of doing so. And so I think when you have that view of civic engagement, you will never be satisfied because you can't actually save anybody at the end of the day. And this last one sort of goes with this, uh, Chris. I think people, once you get engaged in civics, sometimes you slowly start to realize that there's no finality or ultimate conclusions in human accomplishments. The best of our accomplishments are usually reversible or corruptible. None of even the greatest policies that we've, you know, that we've ever been able to enact. None of them have ended uh, personal, I mean, human suffering, and none of them will ever end human suffering. And so that lack of finality, that the understanding that I can accomplish something big in the civic space, but it's never quite final or ultimate, brings hopelessness, which I think to some people brings a level of unhappiness. But Chris, that's just my take on it, brother. What, what are your thoughts on the unhappiness of the true believer in politics? Yeah, I mean, I I appreciate uh, the tweet um, I really appreciate the analysis that that you have given so far, uh, and like you, I really identify uh, with the sort of uh, unhappy warrior uh, in the civic space. Um, you know, one of the things uh, that I have to do for myself, and that I'm always encouraging people, uh, especially those of us who spend our our lives on the front lines of a lot of these very important issues, is that you really cannot bring your desire for happiness to this this work like it's just like this work is a terrible place to look for happiness you have to find happiness uh in your life you have to find happiness for sure uh, I, I think that the believer should definitely find uh joy and peace and happiness uh in our relationship with jesus um but our politics uh is so badly broken. It's just a horrible place to go looking for happiness in the first place. Um, you know, when, when I think about, um, you know, just for me, right, just very personally, uh, you know, in the early 1980s, you know, just take it 40 years ago, uh, you know, we are in the early 1980s, crack cocaine uh, is flooding into uh, black urban neighborhoods. Uh, you know, the the sort of very uh, uh, false trope of the welfare queen uh, is taking its root. The sort of fusion of conservative politics and biblical Christianity um, is sort of taking root in our politics. This this modern sort of uh, completely unchecked greed, 
uh, draped in the sort of veneer of innocent capitalism. All this stuff is taking root in our society. Uh, and when you look over the 40 years from then to now, um, there really are not a whole lot of markers of tremendous success and tremendous step forward. And and so I really love that you pointed out something that, that I wanted to point to, uh, which is the prophet Jeremiah, who at least a lot of people think uh, wrote the book of Lamentations. And I think that is what um, is really troubling about things right now, because I think that is, is not so much that happiness is missing uh, that makes us ungrateful when we do win. Um, I think it is that we have not learned what to do with fear that is genuine and hopelessness that is genuine because you you can actually be uh, intelligent enough and honest enough to identify, you know, the silver lining, to identify the wins that we do make albeit most of them usually on the margins. Uh, but they are things that we should be grateful for. They are moments that we should take to celebrate. Um, but they don't necessarily assuage that fear, right? They don't necessarily uh, take away that hopelessness. Uh, but we have not learned as a society, and I would say we haven't learned really well, even as a church, what to do with that fear and what to do with that sense of hopelessness, um, even what to do with that sense of of guilt and responsibility uh, as those things uh, sort of play off of each other. Um, and so we, because we haven't learned to lament like Jeremiah, uh, then we we get ugly with that stuff, right? Like we, we haven't learned to... Um, to say it straight. And so we're constantly showing it crooked. Um, there are a lot of things in our society uh, that are very lamentable, but when we take those things and, and we lock in on our political opponent um, and we lock into our political ideology, uh, we get to this place where we start being very, very ugly because we do have these difficult um and negative sort of emotions, um, and in a lot of t- a lot of ways, a, a not so um, rosy outlook for the way things uh, seem to be playing out. And if you don't learn to lament, then one, you won't ever be able to be grateful for the things that that are going right, um, and you'll begin to have this very ugly sort of political manifestation so that you start showing up to your politics and you start showing up to your civics uh, in a very ugly way. And I know that there are people, I talk about it on this show all the time, the people who are like out there making money off of the ugliness and the divisiveness. But there are so many people, uh, at least I I believe, uh, who came to civics and politics and, uh, uh, you know, that type of engagement for the right reasons, right? To, To try to uh, really stand up for their children and what they're learning and how they're being developed to really try to stand up uh, for their communities and the families and uh, issues of economic justice. Uh, and, and that's why you came, uh, but you get into it and you start experiencing all this negativity. And if you don't know how to lament, you don't know how to process that stuff, then it will turn you into the very ugly stuff uh, that we see in our politics uh, right now. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm very, very 
happy that we're talking about this today because I think it's very, very important for those of us who want to remain uh, in the front lines on this. We talk about a lot uh, about being faithful in civics and being faithful in politics. And we say all the time, there is a way to be faithful and be conservative. There's a way to be faithful uh, and be progressive. Um, And I think a big part of being faithful uh, is learning what to do with those um, those negative emotions, those bad experiences. And I think that the the skill that we need to learn is actually uh, the skill and the art of the lament, like to just go to God and cry out to God and say, this is really, really horrible. And I'm really, really afraid. Uh, and I feel very hopeless. And I don't know what's going to happen. Um, God can really uh, begin to minister to us in those places if we learn to do that. Uh, and even folks, you know, who, who, I guess I just say it this way, like, even if you're listening to this and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Like, uh, this to me is, is part and parcel with the gospel, right? Like, if, if you're looking for a utopia in this world, there is a thing that is called sin. It has fundamentally broken the world and it will not be fixed until the thing is put right by, uh, the coming of the kingdom of God. Uh, but that is the story of God. That is uh, the the story of the scripture. Uh, and through a personal relationship with Jesus, you actually experience not just the hope for your own life and your own eternity, but you actually experience the hope for the world because Christ is the hope for you and your personal eternity. Christ is equally the hope for the world. There is coming a time where they will hunger no more and they will not thirst anymore and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That utopia is promised uh, in Jesus. Um, and it's a, it's a huge part of the reason why if you're listening here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you should get one because I, it is it is important to me, at least I can tell you, uh, is an important component of how I stay on the front lines uh, without getting super ugly uh, and without um, sort of changing that fundamental reason that I came in uh, and, and instead just lock it in on my opponents. It's because I do have a hope that's beyond my politics and beyond my civic engagement. Uh, and it's a hope in Jesus. So uh, if you listen here today and you don't have that relationship, I would urge you on this reason if you find yourself turning into the sort of um, the, that that unhappy, angry, ungrateful warrior for what should be right and, and probably is right, maybe this like Thanksgiving season, you want to get back to thankful and find some joy and peace in your life. I would urge you toward Jesus. Man, that's 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 a really good word. So I hope what y'all y'all are hearing from us is you should be engaged. There's nothing wrong with being passionate about about being engaged. You may be the type of person like me and Chris who it is just a burden on your heart. Some of the things that you see going on in the streets and in society to where maybe if you could get rid of that burden, you would. But you can't get rid of it. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's it's, it's what you do about it. And it's where you seek happiness. And that's one thing Chris really hit on. You should care about these issues, you know, whether it's the sanctity of life whether it's um, climate change, immigration, uh, racial justice, the list goes on and on and on. You should care. But I'm going to tell you, even if your perfect policy got passed today, you're not going to be fulfilled in politics. 
And so if you're looking for that fulfillment in politics, if you're looking for that happiness in politics, politics is an adversarial place by design. You're not going to find that type, that level of happiness there. And especially when you start looking for it from taking from somebody else or how it, you know, how it hurts the other side. That's really when we're going wrong, man. And and I just want people to hear that it is really unhealthy. Right. Uh, You know, being this type of person who's who's always upset, who's always enraged, it's not healthy, nor is it effective. And so we really need to think through how, you know, how we look at all this stuff, man. And and I think um, I think I think we you know, I think you really hit it on the head, Chris. But let me ask you this question, which might be the most important of what we're talking about. Are you familiar with the whiz and that quote that I gave at the beginning of the segment? So, Doc, I uh, actually in sixth grade, um, I was the scarecrow in the Oscar DePriest School <laughs> Choir's production of the Wiz. All right, <laughs> so, so you you know all about the the, the, the crow anthem. Yes, indeed. Oh, that's Thou big. Never, never get down off of this here pole. <laughs> the, never. See, I'm, I'm man. See, I, I was hoping so. Some of y'all younger cats might not be able to. Uh, appreciate this right now, but I'm going to tell you, go watch The Wiz. Go watch The Wiz. You'll understand what we're talking about. Sometimes you just got to get the context. But that is one of the best scenes in that movie uh, with the Crow Anthem and all that stuff. So I figured some folks could connect to it. Uh, We got some more segments coming up. We got some more stuff to talk about. We will be right back on the Church Politics Podcast. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast. Once again, it's Justin Gibney and the right reverend Christopher Butler. Let me start with, start off with some scripture. Let me read Psalm uh, 107 uh, verses 29 through 32. And it says, he caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol him also in the congregation of the people and praise him at the seat of the elders. In the Bible, to be thankful is to acknowledge God's grace. To acknowledge God, to to acknowledge the goodness and the faithfulness of God as a provider, as the giver. So not just being thankful for what you received, but also acknowledging the provider of, of that gift, the provider of the life, the provider of, uh, uh, of, of all the things, the salvation and all the things that we receive. Similarly, in a similar way, when we talk about gratitude in the Bible, we see that Gratitude happens when we give grace, when we give kindness and mercy to others. Our disposition, uh, Chris, our public witness, in my opinion, should reflect God's goodness. If God is indeed good, barring some mental or emotional illness, and that happens too, that stuff is real, we shouldn't be mad all the time. Even, Even if you lost a very important policy battle. You should still have hope and a deep and abiding joy that permeates your social action. 
We still have something to be grateful for. We always have to be something to be grateful for. Now, that doesn't mean there's no space for anger. We can be righteously indignant. But we should never be bitter. We should never allow ourselves to wallow in bitterness because that's very different. We should have a desire, a desire that is almost palpable. We should have a desire to see the good and the redemptive potential in every situation. And also the good and uh, redemptive potential in every person. When you look at your political opponents, do you want to see the good? Do you want to see redemption? Do you want to see them come to the right conclusions and express the truth and moral order of God? Or do you feel better when they're wrong? Do you feel better when they look stupid? Do you feel better when they've been humiliated? These are some of the questions that we have to answer as Christians because we deal with some very serious issues in the public square that can turn you very sour really quickly. That can have an impact on all the other aspects of your life, whether you're a parent or whether you're doing other work. It can really have a negative impact on everything else that you're doing. As I say over and over again, one of the main things that you learn if you really read about the ethos or the spirit of the civil rights movement was that, yes, policy and all that stuff was important. But what was more important than policy was your spirit, never allowing your opponent to have a negative impact on your spirit. And this is the thing that you can see from people such as my ancestors who were going through what I would say is much more than we're going through right now, which was the ability to be thankful, the the, the ability to have this this thanksgiving even in the midst of oppression. And I have a problem with this, Chris. I don't know if you run into this before, but I really one of the things I have a biggest problem with. I want folks to know the true history of this country. I want folks to know how much people suffer due to racism and due to other issues. I want folks to know that we don't want to sugarcoat that. But I do have a problem when people treat African-Americans historically, especially folks in the church, as if we were we had this terrible, just downtrodden perspective. Our heads were down and we were just known only for our suffering. Because my experience with my elders, my experience with my grandparents when they were alive, that's not who they were. And I heard so many of their experiences and the pain that they went through and the suffering that they went through and their perspective on it as they looked back. But never was my main takeaway from who they were something that that didn't have a thankfulness in it, a, a gratitude to be able to praise the Lord for what you had, even if you didn't have anything. There was a happiness. There was a joy. And I get I get personally offended when people portray my people as if that wasn't there, as if as if we were defined by the suffering or defined by the oppression. Of course, it had an impact. But that wasn't what we were defined by. And so I think if we can take from that example, we can see that even in the worst of moments, even in our greatest pains and our greatest suffering, there's a reason to rejoice. There's a reason to be thankful even in the public square, when you see such terrible things going down like we've even seen in the last week or so. To find a way, not always to to be, you know, have some corny to in, in a very corny way, try to make light out of things that really aren't good. 
but to have hope, to be aspirational, to have the moral imagination that we talked about before, to see what ought to be in the midst of what shouldn't be. As Christians, we have to be able to do that. Chris, can you talk a little bit about why gratitude and thanksgiving are important to you, especially when it comes to the public square? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that you hit on it a, a lot. I mean, I think it, it is that uh, idea of of sort of testimony and how you uh, come to this. Uh, you know, I think there's a um, a huge gap uh, in a lot of people's understanding in terms of, I don't know, this sort of like disposition and approach, right? Like uh, uh, there's a difference in my view between contentment and complacency. We can have contentment. We can be thankful for um, what we have and where we are without being complacent, right? Without having the desire and the ability to work for more, to reach for more. Those things, yes, sometimes there's a there's a tension, but I don't think there's a dichotomy there. You can be content and not be complacent. Um, and I, I think that one of the main vehicles for that is to have a disposition of thankfulness. Uh, and I love that you went to the Psalms and pointed out the fact that for the believer at the heart of our thanksgiving uh, is not so much what we have received or what we have or which campaigns we won and which issues we lost. It is this abiding sense of thankfulness because of who our God is, that he actually is provider. Our God actually is protector. Um, and so that thankfulness, it reflects on the the good things that have happened, the good things that we have, um, but it's not rooted in that. It's rooted in uh, the person uh, and the, the character of our God, um, the, the fact that we do serve a God who is sovereign and whose sovereignty serves his goodness. Um, that's incredible. Uh, and so I, I hate to get all like preachy here, um, maybe it's because I got a guest preacher coming on Sunday, so I won't preach. But it, it is it's hard for me when it comes to this idea of disposition. I really come near the end of my sort of like secular approach to counsel. Uh, like when I'm in like the public square, like there's a lot that I find a lot of overlap with with secular uh, brothers and sisters in terms of arriving at policy decisions and uh, how to structure organizations and government and that kind of stuff. But when it comes to disposition, I start to near the end of that because I think that the joyfulness uh, that I hope is reflected in in my public witness uh, and my sort of civic engagement, that joyfulness for me is rooted in that hope of redemption, right? Like this, this hope that one, any person, any situation at any moment can be radically redeemed. Uh, so is that hope and in, in, in that sense of, of, of redemption, immediate redemption, and then that abiding sense of victory, knowing that uh, the consummation of all things is already decided uh, and it already ends in victory. And if you don't have that, I don't have a whole lot in terms of how to count you. And maybe there are people who are way more secular than me and can count you in other ways. But for me, that disposition is deeply rooted in that sense of that hope of redemption, that abiding sense of victory that are found in the gospel. What's the song at the cross? 
right? At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight and now I'm happy all the day, right? So it is not that I don't have the burden. It's not that I don't identify with the burden, but it is that I have a relationship with the Savior who actually calls us to roll those cares over onto him, who actually carries away the burdens of our hearts. And so dispositionally, I think that thankfulness to God, for God, uh, is incredibly important. And that is what opens the window. Once you have that rooted, like thankfulness for who God is, you, for me, and I don't know if I can say, like, again, I get to the end of my counsel uh, outside of the context of the gospel on this particular issue of disposition. For me, that is what allows me to see that silver lining that you referred to in the previous segment. Um, I don't know if I, if I didn't have a burden bearer, I don't know that I could actually get my vision cleared up enough to see those uh, things in the day-to-day, year-to-year um, of civics and politics to be thankful for. Man, that's good. And when we have that level of thankfulness that comes from something that transcends anything that, that we can accomplish, could that bring us to the place where even when we look at our opposition and they've done something unjust or immoral, that we would want their redemption even more than we want their punishment? Now, that doesn't mean that people should never be punished. But what if we wanted their redemption more than we wanted their punishment? What if we looked at these instances of racialized violence and all this and not saying that people shouldn't be held accountable? You already know where we come from on that. But what if we really wanted their redemption more and you could see that through how we talked about it? That even if this person needs to go and, you know, go to prison or anything, I want their redemption. To, I want to I want to see somebody grow out of this because the person who passed is not coming back. How can we grow from this? But I think too often we get into this space where we just want to find fault again, where we just want to prove the other, you know, the other side is dumb or evil or all this, uh, you know, malicious, all this stuff that comes with it. Uh, We almost enjoy talking about negative things or expecting, anticipating negative things from certain people. Right. Um, that leads to some of this unhappiness and that can cause us not to be as thankful as we should be. We don't want to become the malcontents uh, that were written about in, in Jude 16. Right. The other thing I would say, Chris, as, as we, we go out of this segment, sometimes our unhappiness is a product of indoctrination. You mentioned it a little bit earlier. Some leaders and some groups benefit from the political mob mentality. They can't ever let you uh, believe that things have improved significantly because they benefit from keeping you enraged. And when you're enraged, you're easily manipulated. You go along uh, with whatever your group or your uh, ideological ideological tribe says, because everything is too pressing. Everything is the problems are too immediate for you to do anything but just go with the group. And that causes so much unhappiness and so much of that unhappiness and rage is by design. And so this is why we tell you, you've got to you've got to take your Bible. You've got to take the gospel with you into the public square, into your partnerships, into any type of partisanship that you may be a part of. 
You've got to take that spirit with you or you end up in a place where you're unhappy even when things go your way. And I can tell you some movements that have won a lot of victories <laughs> over the past decade and are still seem to be angry, are still out for blood, still don't feel like they've accomplished what they, you know, what they need to accomplish in a, in a real way. Chris, why don't you take us out on this? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that it is uh, so important uh, to have that sense of thankfulness. There's a thing that we do in the black church. I know we do it in the black church. I don't know if it's in uh, other churches, but uh, we say God is good. And folks respond all the time and all the time. God is good. And that's so important because what, what you're doing in that statement, and I, and I know the reason that that is deeply rooted in the black church, uh, is that sometimes stuff is bad and the people who are like going against you, uh, they're doing bad and stuff is just bad. Um, and really, honestly, when we reflect on our own selves, like we're not even all that hot. But the fact that God is good overwhelms all of that. Uh, and it can put us in that disposition of thankfulness uh, and joy. Uh, and so I, I just encourage us to to reflect on that. God is good. And we will be back on the Church Politics Podcast. Are you too progressive for conservatives and too conservative for progressives? As a Christian, do you find yourself feeling politically homeless? If so, then you're not alone. Listen, this is Justin Gibney, president of the And Campaign. And if you're a Christian who doesn't know a whole lot about politics or someone who knows a good deal about politics but wants to be more faithful in the public square, then you have to read the And Campaign's book, Compassion and Conviction. The And Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement that we published with InterVarsity Press. Whether you just want to understand the relationship between church and state, why Christians should engage politics at all, how Christians should engage partisanship, politics and race, advocacy and protest, or even civility, this is the book for you. It's very much Bible-centered. It's Bible study and small group friendly. There are questions and exercises after every chapter that give you a framework for engaging politics in a biblical way. So if you want to do it in a better way, get our book, Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast. Chris, we've been talking about thankfulness. We've been talking about how to um, avoid being kind of the perpetually unhappy person in the uh, public square. But we have to be honest, too. Even on this podcast, we do a lot of critiquing and criticizing of the parties, the ideologues, the system. And so I want to take a moment, if you don't mind, brother, I want to take a moment to talk about what we're thankful for in the public square. All right. What 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 is out there outside of the critiques and outside of of, of some of the uh, complaints. What is out there that we're actually thankful for? And I would start with really the and camp, man. As I go, you know, even just last week, I was in New York. I was in Akron. I was in San Antonio. I tried, you know, I traveled about four cities last week in itself. And to hear Christians excited about the and campaign framework, taking the and campaign framework to their city council taking it uh, to their community groups and really spreading the word and really excited about 
finding a way to be faithful in the public square. I'm thankful for y'all. And that's real. Uh, you guys motivate us. I've said over and over again, the and campaign is nothing without our grassroots folks on the ground who just appreciate what we're doing, who volunteer and who want to do a work for the Lord. I am truly grateful for that because I think there will be change in this land because of uh, of you folks out there. So so that's the first thing I want to say. And then I'll even give some props to the administration. We, we've had a lot of critiques for the Biden administration and probably have some more. But let's say what we're thankful for. I, I'm thankful uh, that President Biden raised the refugee admission cap uh, earlier this year. Uh, I was thankful that they they passed the American Rescue Plan Act. Those are things that are small. And even though I think was this the 117th Congress hasn't, you know, they haven't accomplished a whole lot in comparison to some some other Congresses. And, and, you know, that's debatable, we could say. There's still some good things and some bipartisan things that have been done that I think will be helpful, even if they're not everything that we want. Uh, so I, I want to give a shout out for, for what has been done there. Uh, something else that I'm thankful for, Chris, is, you know, we saw a lot of polarization during the pandemic. We're not out of it, but during the, the, the most heated parts of the pandemic. Uh, that's what we were seeing on, you know, mainstream media and all that. But if you looked more closely, if you looked at the communities, if you looked at the churches, I also saw a lot of Americans come together to help one another in these really tough situations. When somebody lost a family member, uh, when someone was uh, lost a job, there are a lot of communities uh, and localities that passed laws and a lot of churches that came together to make sure they were helping people. We did it ourselves with the Churches Helping Churches uh, Challenge that we had, a, we were a part of, raised uh, over $1.3 million uh, for churches that were struggling through the pandemic. And so I want to give a shout out to the American people and all the ways they did come together outside of the stuff that seemed to, to polarize us and pull us apart. There was a lot of good that was going on during that time as well. I also want to say that I'm thankful for, you know, some of our local elected officials. Uh, I want to, you know, give a shout out and say I'm thankful for Atlanta City, City uh, Councilwoman Andrea Boone, Councilman uh, uh, Michael Bond, uh, school board member and, and dear friend, uh, Dr. Jaha Howard. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked to the Lieutenant Governor, uh, Jeff Duncan, and we, you know, appreciate and are thankful for people who will stand up even to, you know, it's not easy to stand up to the to the most powerful uh, man in the world. Uh, and there were people who did that. And so anyone else who was willing to do that, I am thankful for you. And even the folks that we don't see, even the folks uh, fighting smaller battles that nobody appreciates, we know you're out there and hopefully you draw some inspiration and, and encouragement. Uh, from some of the examples we gave and hopefully uh, from from our back and forth as well. Chris, what are some things that you yourself are, are also thankful for? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I am very thankful pretty much for all of the uh, the, the categories that, that you laid out. So at least I will give my own mm -hmm. sort of like shout out of gratitude uh, to the ANCAMP um, because folks all over this uh, country are just uh, doing this work and bringing this sort of witness to their local situations. And that's incredible. Like you, I do believe that it's going to have an impact in our time. Super grateful for something that has been happening and maybe a little bit underreported in our labor markets uh, where folks are coming together. I know that there's, there's a lot of back and forth, you know, different views around organized labor, but certainly just the spirit of coming together a lot of these movements are 
multiracial. They are actually happening uh, in a lot of different places, rural places and industrial areas and uh, urban areas. Um, and it is just the idea of people uh, sort of coming together and doing what they can to improve life for themselves, their coworkers and their families. And I, I think that that doesn't get a lot of love in mainstream media, but it's incredible. And I'm, I'm grateful to see that happening because to me, to me, it says that there is a, a hope for that somewhere in our politics, we can do things um, that are not always racially bifurcated. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, very grateful for local elected officials, a bunch of local Chicago older people. And I think local elected officials all over the country who just keep their head down and do the work of like making cities and towns function, you know, so I I won't get into a a lot of names because I don't want to get into a a lot of trouble, but there are a ton of mayors and local elected officials uh, that I know and whose work I appreciate, even though uh, it's it's not the sexy stuff because it's not going to, it's not super controversial. Uh, so it's not going to be reported on all the time, but there's a reason that garbage gets picked up and streets get paved and street lights get replaced and all that stuff. People, not only those elected officials, also, you know, staff and folks uh, who are working. You mentioned the administration and what the Congress has been able to do. There's a ton of staff there in the administration and the on Capitol Hill who do their thing. Uh, and then the the last thing, and I don't know if it's, I, I think it is, it's certainly public service, so I think it fits in this, but just sort of like the whole universe of first responders who, for a lot of reasons, racial tension in the country, covid uh, 19, some of the economic strife that, you know, sort of puts a stress on their own sort of retirement and compensation. Uh, but, you know, those first responders all across the country uh, who continue to show up and do the best that they can, very grateful for that as well. So, you know, it could, could really go on here. I also have to say I'm grateful for Mr. Justin Gibbity, the, the visionary and leader of the AN campaign. Just, I, I know that a lot of people who listen to this podcast don't get the full view of just how hard you work and how much you just travel and speak and write and think and pray uh, and the many, many sacrifices that are involved with that for a person with with a young and very wonderful family. Uh, So I am grateful for, for you and for all the work that you do as well. Man, I, I really appreciate that, brother. And I, I, I'm I'm very much thankful for you as well and what you're doing in Chicago. The leadership, not only to to bear witness and testify to to the truth in the public square, but to do something about it, right? To take, you know, to go out there and camp- campaign, to run for something, to be a leader in the church, all the things you do for your family, being a great husband and a great father. Thankful for you as well, brother. And I'll just add two more as you were going. I I left off two of my list. I want to say that I'm thankful for uh, the police officers in Atlanta, in my area, especially in my zone, uh, for all that they do, for all the work they put in protecting people and the ones who who do it right. I see you uh, very much appreciate you. I want to also say for the, you know, the activists for police reform, uh, the folks who are out there saying, hey, we need to do better. And I'm going to stand up and for the people and make sure that they're treated fairly. So I want to I want to say I'm thankful for folks on, on both sides of that conversation, which I think they should really, in many cases, are on the same side and trying to get it done uh, the right way. So thank you for all that. And then another one that I almost for, forgotten, this includes you, too, Chris, 
is the coalition of black pastors that we brought together to address the Equality Act this year. And many of you may or may not know the black church hasn't really weighed in on religious liberty uh, and the LGBTQ conversation as much. That hasn't been something that we stepped up and really talked about in the public square. We actually did that this year. We, we sent a letter, a very, uh, a, a, a very um, clear letter to uh, the Senate. We talked to Senate officers, did a whole, whole lot of stuff. And I just want to thank those pastors that came together to really say, hey, man, we don't care if this is supposed to be a Republican issue, a Democratic issue. This is about our neighbors. And this is about the church and other faith based organizations that deserve to be respected. This is about making sure that our LGBTQ brothers are treated uh, with respect and treated um, uh, fairly and making sure that, you know, that the church isn't and and other faith based groups, again, isn't mistreated. And so I want to give a shout out to that group, a fairly large group. I can't name everybody, but certain certainly uh, yours truly, uh, Christopher Butler. We got Bishop Timothy Clark, uh, Bishop Claude Alexander, Dr. Cynthia Hale, uh, Dr. Barbara William Skinner, Dr. Charlie Dates. Uh, Lisa Fields, the list goes on and on. But I see y'all. We appreciate y'all standing with the and campaign and we're going to continue to stand on those issues. So thank you all for joining us today. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. We want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving and and think about this. Be thankful for your at as you fellowship. Happy Thanksgiving. You know, I hope you enjoy your meal. Enjoy your family. And think about the goodness of God, and hopefully that will uh, uh, people will be able to see that through your public witness. As always, Ann Camp, there's a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world. Politics with the boldness and compassion of Jesus Christ. Until next time, Ann Camp. I'll let you. I said kingdom, kingdom.